Hello, my name is Emma Knowles and I'm the Director of Policy and Research at the Healthcare Financial Management Association. Welcome to the first episode of HFMA Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news about the association and healthcare finance. In this episode, we'll be talking about leases. Accountants have been talking about IFRS 16 for so long now, it's easy to think that everything has been sorted out already, but that's not the case. In this podcast, we'll discuss what the standard will mean for the NHS and what one NHS Foundation Trust has done so far. From 1st of April 2020, the NHS has to change the way that it accounts for leases. IFRS 16 will bring significant changes and will require NHS organisations to look at their contracts and see whether they contain leases. Debbie Patterson, HFMA's Policy and Technical Manager, is responsible for all our work on financial reporting and is here today to talk about IFRS 16 and the impact on the NHS. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Emma. So to start off with, then, there may be people listening who are not familiar with what a lease is. So can you just briefly explain what leases are and how they work for us? Okay. So we'll start with the definition in the accounting standard. So a lease is a contract or part of a contract that conveys the use of an identified asset for a period of time in exchange for consideration. Um, So, for example, an ambulance trust may not buy an ambulance outright, but it may instead lease it from a leasing company. So the, the leasing company buys it and then the ambulance trust simply pays the leasing company for the use of that ambulance. Um, Similarly, renting office space. So you could maybe rent um, a floor of an office um, and that would be a lease arrangement. So the key things to remember are it's a contract, there's an asset and you're making a payment for it. And there are two types of leases, aren't there? Operating leases and finance leases. There are at the moment, yes. So at the moment, we split um, leases into into those two categories. Going forward, we won't, um, and that's the big change. But currently, a finance lease is a lease that substantially transfers all the risks and arrangements incidental to ownership of an asset. So a finance lease is a lease where you tend to be leasing the asset for the whole or close to the whole of its life or and or um, you're paying pretty much the full cost of that asset over the life of the lease. Um, And then an operating lease under current arrangements is any lease that isn't a finance lease. Um, These leases um, are you just simply um, pay, make a payment um, either monthly, quarterly, annually, um, and you account for that um, as expenditure as you as you incur that cost. Whereas currently, a finance lease um, is an on-balance sheet transaction, so you have an asset and a liability relating to that lease on your balance sheet. So that all sounds perfectly sensible to me. So why are the uh, arrangements changing? Uh, the the story is that the then chair of the um, organisation that sets accounting standards was sitting on an aeroplane um, about 10 to 15 years ago and realised um, that the, the aeroplane wasn't on anybody's balance sheet because the um, airline company was treating it as an operating lease and the um, the company that was leasing the asset to the airline company 
was also um, was treating it as a, a finance lease and therefore was taking it was assuming it was a finance lease and had therefore taking it off their balance sheet um, and he was somewhat perturbed to be sitting on a physical um, aeroplane um, that was not actually recognised on any balance sheet anywhere in the world. I must admit that those aren't the thoughts that I have when I'm on an aeroplane. It's more around whether it's likely to crash and where I'm going, I think. Absolutely, but that's probably why we're not chairs of accounting setting um, organisations, perhaps. You're absolutely right. So can you talk us through then what the changes are going to be, just to make sure that leases are on someone's balance sheet, and if I got that correct? Yep. So in order that leases are on someone's balance sheet, um, they've gone to almost the other extreme where actually there are going to be um, assets that are on two balance sheets going forward um, because the change um, affects the lease or so the company that um, it has use of the asset and has entered into the lease to, to, to use the asset. Um, and they will, um, from going forward, apart from a few exceptions, they will account for all leases on balance sheet. So they will recognise the right of use of an asset and then a liability when they enter into that lease. For the companies that are actually doing the leasing, so the leasing companies that buy the asset and then lease it to someone else, the accounting pretty much stays the same. They will continue to split things into finance and operating leases. So there will be a mismatch in the accounting between the two parties entering into these arrangements. Ah, I see. So what does this mean for the NHS then? Is it just a case of shifting over operating leases and making them finance leases and putting them on the balance sheet? Um, yes, um, ish. Um, it's not quite as straightforward as that. So um, because operating leases are currently accounted for, um, in a way that is very similar to any other type of contract for goods and services. Um, sometimes they're not actually identified as being leases um, because although they should be, um, the the effect on the bottom line is no different if, if, if they are picked up as leases or not. There's just a disclosure difference. Um, so for the NHS, there is a piece of work to be done um, to actually make sure that all of the operating leases that are currently being entered into um, have been identified. Um, actually, on a broader note, in terms of consolidation, there is going to be a piece of work that needs to be done uh, when the um, departmental accounts are prepared at the end of 2021 um, to sort out this mismatch in accounting, because actually there are a lot of lease arrangements out there which are between NHS bodies. Um, obviously leases with Propco being the obvious one, but there are other many other lease arrangements between NHS bodies. Um, and so there will be a piece of work there to try to, to make sure that they are treated appropriately in the consolidated account. Uh, I see. But from a local perspective, the main worry is that budget holders may have entered into contracts without realising that there's a lease in them. And so finance staff may not be aware yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, because often it won't actually sort of say lease in big letters on the front of it. So um, they may well have entered into a contract, managed service contract for the, 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 the main ones where you um, have access and use of an asset, but you're actually paying for the consumables around it. Um, so you're not actually paying 
making a payment specifically for the asset, um, but that's part of the contract is that you have use of that asset. Um, and you might not have identified those as leases. So um, in accounting terms going forward so that the accounts are true and fair in 2021, they'll need to be identified because they'll need to go on the balance sheet. Um, but also from a budgeting perspective, we need to have an idea um, of how many of these arrangements there are out there. Because as I said, um, um, going forward from when this new accounting standard comes in, all leases will impact on the capital departmental expenditure limit or CDEL which is a limit on the amount of capital expenditure the NHS can occur, incur in any one year. Um, now, Treasury have said that, that this accounting standard, they will adjust CDEL to take account of that. But unless we, the NHS, can um, knows how much it's currently spending on leases, there's no way of actually working out how much that adjustment needs to be at a national level. So I think there's a piece there to make sure that, um, that we've identified all leases to know, well, actually, in the normal course of business, we do enter into all of these lease arrangements. And going forward, that's going to have a CDEL impact. So please, Treasury, can you adjust CDEL for the appropriate amount so that going forward, um, there's not going to be, um, you know, we're not going to end up, that we can't um, enter into uh, lease arrangements if that's the best way forward. Um, to get access to certain assets. Um, so the standard comes into effect from the 1st of April 2020. Is there any impact on the 1920 accounts or can finance staff just forget about it until next year? Um, sadly, no, they can't forget about it till next year. Um, there will be an impact on the 1920 accounts. Um, currently, uh, leases, both operating leases and finance leases, are disclosed in the accounts. Obviously, finance leases are on balance sheet. Um, but the closing position for um, 31st of March 2020 will be the starting point for the adjusted opening position on the 1st of April, which will take into account the new leasing standard. So unless the closing, if the closing position isn't correct and hasn't got all the leases in it, then there's going to be errors and things that are going to have to be dealt with um, in the accounts when preparing the 2021 accounts. Um, so accounting wise, that's going to be, um, that they need to be right to make sure that the, the close down of the accounts and the audit go well. Um, but actually the bigger issue and the more pressing issue timing wise is actually the financial plans for 2021 um, and um, they will need to be done on the basis of the new lease accounting standards so any um, plans that involve entering into leases or that involve using current leased assets they, they're going to need to uh, understand the changes and put that through by the time those um, plans are prepared. It sounds like it's going to be quite a big job to um, work out what the impact's going to be. And I think you mentioned earlier that the standard was implemented in the private sector for this year, so for 1920. Are there any lessons that we can pick up from the private sector in terms of the challenges they face with implementing the standard? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, it is a big job. And yes, we can learn some lessons. I think the key lessons are don't underestimate the amount of data collection that there is required. Um, 
there are rules and arrangements within the standard to allow you to sort of grandfather current arrangements over into the new standard, but that assumes that you've done a full assessment under the current accounting standards. And as I said, because the accounting isn't very different between a service contract and a lease, an operating lease contract at the moment, that assessment doesn't hasn't necessarily taken place. So um, it might be that actually the current accounting is correct, the bottom line is correct, but the disclosures aren't quite there. Um, so don't underestimate the amount of time you're going to have to spend looking through current arrangements to make sure that you've got the assessment right now. Um, use it as a, a good reason to do some housekeeping. Um, apparently private sector organisations were discovering all sorts of issues, um, leases that they were still paying for where they weren't using the assets, um, spreadsheets with errors in them and all that sort of thing. So it's a good, re good excuse to do some housekeeping. Um, and then the other thing is, as well as the data collection, actually think about how you're going to manage that data going forwards. Um, up till now, we've tended to rely on the NHS on uh, spreadsheets to, to maintain lease, um, um, lease registers, um, and they may not be enough going forward. And as I said, they are potentially, there, there are errors in them. Um, and there are um, packages out there that will allow you to, to manage your leases and I know that NHS England are talking to SBS about um, uh, an add-on to the ISFE system that CCG uses, that CCGs currently use um, to have a, a lease management arrangement uh, a package attached to the ISFE. That sounds as if it might be really helpful. Um, I'm imagining that there are probably a mix of organisations out there, some who have started thinking about this already and making good progress and others who, who haven't as yet. So for those organisations that haven't started thinking about the new standard, what would you recommend that they do as a matter of urgency? So what's the first thing they should be thinking about? I think the first thing to think about is the current what what information you currently hold on leases and how confident are you that you've got all the leases that you've entered into in in a, a register and that you've actually got access to the, the, the relevant bits of paper so that you can go back through the lease to see what's actually been entered into so actually look at your lease register assess its completeness and then start trying to pull in um, all of the leases that you, you think you've entered into that you haven't um, currently got on your lease register. Um, and then I think step two, which will probably happen as a result of finding holes in, in your current lease register, is actually start talking to people in procurement and people who are entering into contracts to try to identify these arrangements that haven't got lease written on them in big, big capital letters. Um, and sort of talking to people about, okay, so do we own that piece of kit? It's not on our, our asset register, in which case, what's the arrangement for us using it? Um, and there's probably a lease arrangement sitting behind there somewhere where there's a, a bit of equipment somewhere in your organisation that you don't actually own outright. Okay. So the HFMA has produced a range of briefings on this already and support for members. Can you just briefly run us through them and summarise what's available to people who uh, are just struggling to think about uh, the implementation of the new standard? Yep. 
Um, so there's a, a briefing on our website, um, which is um, called IFRS 16 Leases, um, which we started writing probably 18 months ago now, and we've updated it um, as changes have gone through. So um, the last update um, we did over the summer to take you know, to the latest guidance, so I'd, I'd have a look at that. Um, and we've also done three webinars, so we did one um, in November uh, 2018, we did one in July 2019 and another one in November 2019 um, and the three, um, so the first one was an introduction, then we sort of did what's changed and a few frequently asked questions and then the final one was all frequently asked questions about the three work as a package, so listening to you know, if you if you really don't know anything, listen to the first one. If you just want to know what people are doing about specific issues, then listen to the last one. Um, and then finally, we've leases was on the agenda for pre-accounts planning um, in January 2019, and it will be again on the agenda for pre-accounts planning for January 2020 as well. Okay, great. And NHS England and NHS Improvement have they published guidance on it? Yeah, so the, um, outside of um, HFMA, um, the Treasury have issued some guidance both on accounting and on the budgetary impact of this accounting standard. Um, the Department of Health have issued guidance on accounting for it, and that covers off the budgeting guidance as well, I think. Uh, and the NHS um, Improvement have issued um, a timeline, an implementation timeline, and they've started issuing FAQs as well as people are raising issues with them. So there's quite a lot of stuff out there. Great, thanks Debbie. Um, so there's lots to do, and as Debbie's mentioned, there are lots of sources of information and frequently asked questions and webinars for people to watch and look at if they want to get more information about IFRS 16. So you can read more about it at our website, which is www.hfma.org.uk. Thank you again, Debbie. In order to get a practical insight of how the implementation of IFRS 16 is going, Debbie spoke to HFMA member Louise Lowry. My name is Debbie Patterson. I'm Policy and Technical Manager here at the HFMA and today I'm talking with Louise Lowry who's Head of Financial Services at Rotherham NHS Foundation Trust um, to talk about how they are implementing IFRS 16 so far. So Louise, first of all, what have you done to implement this standard so far? Hi Debbie. Um, what we've done so far is what feels like an awful lot of prep work and thinking and not necessarily a huge amount of putting numbers in but at least we're making some progress so that's that's a good thing yep. um and by that i mean that we've done um quite a lot of reading in-house to understand what we should be doing so that's step one i guess that's a, a good place to start um and then our financial accounting team here have then pulled together a bit of an in-house presentation for our wider finance team and our procurement colleagues um, just to talk through what the changes mean because there is always certainly in this organization an expectation that if there's a new standard it's the financial accounting department's role to sort that out and do magic in the background so we want to ensure that certainly with this standard it's a bit more far-reaching than perhaps some others have been that um, actually everybody that needs to be involved understands it so we've done that presentation in-house 
Um, it raised an awful lot of interesting questions and discussion and debate. Um, and we didn't have all the answers, certainly, when we did that about two months ago. And then what we've done is then I've shared that presentation with colleagues in our East Midlands patch um, at their technical group, the HFMA technical group, to also um, let them know where we're at and what sort of conversations we've had as the wider finance team. And I've shared that presentation with them to kind of use as well so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So kind of starting the engagement thing, I guess. Excellent. That sounds that sounds really, really good. Um, so you said you haven't put many numbers in boxes yet. I'm guessing that's on the to-do list. What else is left? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, if I just go back to one of the things, the other things we have done as well, if that's all right, I would yep. do my order. Um, so one of the other things we've done is to actually look at how we're going to record this. So rather than immediately, as is the instinct of every accountant, to with open a spreadsheet, yep. um, we really wanted to have a think about what it meant because. Um, with the, there being a question mark over lease cars, that meant there was also a question mark over how many of these calculations we might have had to do. Yeah. So, um, again, about three months ago, I think, we started to look at whether or not our financial ledger provider was um, planning on doing anything to address the requirements of the standard. And as it happens, we're on a... A system that's reasonably bespoke um, it's called Unit 4 Business World and it used to be um, Agresso which some people might recognise and they do tend to develop new modules for things so we had a conversation with them and they said they haven't but they have a partner that has so we went as far as actually having a demonstration of that system that unfortunately just um, although it did the job it was very much a database of lease information which felt a little bit restrictive and for me potentially not adaptable enough um, and certainly if there was a change in future years and we needed to tweak something I wasn't sure how that would work um, and it was very very expensive so we kind of have ended up back at spreadsheets but it feels that we're there with a much better idea of how we want to set up a very controlled template um, make sure that they're linked correctly right from the start to manage the volume of potential spreadsheets we might have and how that will work because we know that um, obviously that there is risk around spreadsheets and accessibility and overwriting if you don't set them up right. So that's kind of the other thing we've started to, to do. Right. So you, you, you've worked out what you need to know. Um, yeah. So is the next step actually finding out what that is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, yes, our procurement team have, have now already got a little bit irritated at my request for copies of contracts and to look at the contract database um, and just kind of pulling together that batch of information that we wouldn't necessarily have looked at in the same way in the past. Um, so our contracts for our operating leases, some of those we, we won't have looked at for a few years necessarily because they've rolled over. So we've been putting those together in one place and just starting to make sure we've got all the information together so that when actually I finally get round to sitting down and saying, right, OK, let's churn through these and put the numbers in. We've got a template. We can pop all the data in very quickly um, 
and, and hopefully that's quite efficient at that point. And I guess we've got the added benefit that here at Rotherham we've had finance leases on our accounts for a few years. So um, I know a lot of organisations haven't actually had to do that kind of calculation for a while. Yeah. Um, but we've we've got them. So a couple of our existing ones we're going to use as kind of tests for our new template to make sure it's coming out with the same answers. And that's quite a useful thing to have the ability to do, I guess. Yeah, so you're fairly confident you've got a, a complete list of, of finance leases, which, like you say, other other colleagues won't won't be starting from that point. Um, you said yeah. that you you um, engaged with you've engaged with procurement to the point of annoying mm-hmm. them, which is always a good <laughs> thing. Um, what 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 sort of um, questions, perhaps that you weren't expecting? Did they did they have they raised? What sort of issues have, have they raised? Which as a finance person you might not have thought of because we probably think in different ways yeah um there was there was quite a lot of very quickly there was conversation about um contracts that we have in place to buy consumables right so they jumped very quickly to that um and that's where we have um, consumables that are low value, but which might come with the package with an asset. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, that asset's free. And that whole conversation about what does that mean in terms of if we start to account for that asset, do we also then have to tweak the cost of the consumables in our numbers? And will that affect their reporting of what we're spending on certain items from a consumables point of view? So it was quite interesting just to hear it come from their viewpoint in terms of it's for them it's not what the accounts say it's actually it might make our consumables look more or less expensive than perhaps we're paying out for them and is that okay for the returns that they're having to do for a different purpose around value for money etc that was quite interesting yeah um it was some of it was a little bit scary because we were talking about arrangements that had been in place for quite a while um some of them were again kind of consumables contracts but bigger items that haven't necessarily even made it onto operating leases notes in the past i'll be honest yeah one or two we think yeah so i guess our current um thinking is to try and assess we know that the guidance says carry forward what you had in operating leases and and that's fine I guess it's about that conversation with our auditors around actually through going through this process, what if we identify things that yeah. perhaps we might have chosen to do differently yeah. um, that's already in existence? Yeah. And at what point, if we're going to change that, do we do that? Okay. Um, and one of the contracts is for beds, actual physical beds. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that question was, well, when is the asset a single asset and when is it a group of them? Because the contract's for hundreds of these things yes so it yeah it's those kind of questions that we're not entirely sure we don't know the answer to yet yeah um that's definitely left to do and to work through and i think it's a case for me at the moment of prioritizing and getting the the straightforward ones done and settled and and recorded and then working through those slightly more complicated ones that makes that makes sense to me trying to tick the easy ones off um so um 
have you got if you know you said you started this process two three months ago and I know talking to other NHS colleagues it's still on their to-do list they know it's a big to-do and in some ways that's why it's still on the list because it's such a big thing to start Mm -hmm. to tackle Mm -hmm. have you got any lessons sort of I wish I'd known this before I started um, perhaps to help them as they start where you know it sounds like you had a plan and, and you and you followed your plan but if you could do it again would you do anything differently um, I think I would, ironically, I'd prefer to be further on than we are now. Right. Um, and I know I can't, and I can't help people no. with that because they'll, they'll equally not be as far as I think we probably need to be. Yeah. Um, it, once you start looking at it, you realise how much work there is. Yep. And actually, um, whilst most financial accounting teams will expect to have a build-up of work towards the end of the year, this is a completely different piece of work. It's a project piece of work that's going to take days and weeks, not hours, to get right. And and I think that bit worries me. So, yeah, yeah I, I would definitely start the detail earlier. Um, the other thing I think um, we need to do and haven't yet, um, and again, I would do earlier if I could, is to have some more conversations with our estates colleagues on our um rental leases Um, because whilst we have some good information on that because we've had to in the past um, actually from an engagement and awareness point of view our estate colleagues we've not had those conversations with yet Um, and it's just making sure that they understand because what we've identified is some of this is already starting to impact on what business cases look like when people are starting to bid for money for next financial year yeah and whilst before that business case lease versus buy type working would look a particular way, now it absolutely will need to look different and the profiling of the cost will be different. And it's ensuring that all of our operational teams that are reviewing what developments they want to do going forward actually are aware that that needs to happen. And that whilst that will be led by their divisional finance leads, and that's fine. Um, there kind of just needs to be that awareness of actually it's going to be done differently, and we are already in that stage of planning for next year now. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I guess my advice is to start now. Start, <laughs> if, if you haven't already. started, start now. Yeah, start. <laughs> yes, yeah, and 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 also yeah. the engagement piece. I think is. We're very good in the finance community, aren't we, of saying, well, it's a new finance mm. accounting standard. We'll, we'll we'll sort it. We'll deal with it. And actually, like you said mm. earlier, this one you can't do. We can't do it in the finance team. You need to to engage. So who who you, you've engaged with your procurement colleagues. You are starting yeah. to engage with estates. Is there anyone else still on yeah. your list that you, you think you need to um, engage with? Um, I think think we will be having some conversations with IT colleagues that's a good another main source of lease type arrangements Um, but after that the bit that gets a little bit more difficult is where we're talking about medical equipment and my experience of equipment in any trust is that um, in the trusts I've been at the medical equipment replacement programs um, they don't tend to necessarily be managed by one single person. So whilst all your IT kit will tend to be in the IT department and they'll be involved in the purchasing, any states is a bit more straightforward. Medical equipment will 
cross over many divisions that can quite often work very specifically as a single division in their own right and not necessarily cross work with the others so you tend to have difficulty identifying who the people are to talk to about medical equipment replacement now if you've got a great process for that as part of asset verification then that's going to be brilliant and it'll make a big difference to this process but if you haven't and that's done in a much more ad hoc basis with sending out um verification requests just for the year end then actually you might have a hundred different people in the organization that have got responsibility for medical equipment that you might have to be engaging with when they need replacing and and I guess that's why whilst they're on the list, it was really important for me that procurement got it first because they'll be talking to them first. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So um, hopefully procurement will say, oh, by the way, there's this big thing coming. You need to talk to finance <laughs> and everyone will go, why? Just in terms of how they're costing their expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the engagement bit that people might miss is um, – we'll assume that all the finance staff in our organisations will know because it's a finance thing. Yeah. But actually, it's not even that straightforward. It's it's a standard, so that becomes a very small number of people in the finance yeah. department. And and for me, actually, getting my management accountants on board was the first key thing because for them, again, it's one of the first standards that really will impact on how they cost things and how they plan um, what that profiling is going to look like makes a real difference to them in terms of their budget setting and just that their whole role with working with that division to balance. So if they don't get it and can influence the thinking in the business case process to make sure it makes sense both from the usual economic efficiency reasons and from cash management, but also factoring in the change to the profile of cost, and if, if we've not got that, we're, we're really going to struggle. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of manager accounts, procurement, and then filtering out through those contacts that are working closely with the divisions anyway yeah. to make sure there's that wider awareness. Brilliant. That's that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, I think that's probably about it, but um, that, that's really useful. And no doubt um, you will now be inundated with queries from other colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> That was Debbie Patterson and Louise Lowry. Thank you to both of them for taking part in this podcast. Since the end of November, the DHSC, NHS England and NHS Improvement have issued lots more guidance for NHS organisations, mostly on NHS Improvement's financial accounting and reporting updates webpage. The first data collection has just taken place with at least three others planned for 2020. NHS bodies need to be ready to invest time and resources to the implementation of the standard over the next two years, both inside and outside of the finance department. That's all for this first episode of HF May Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media to keep abreast of the HF May's activities. We're keen to hear any feedback you've got on this first edition and would welcome suggestions of the types of subjects you'd like us to cover in future episodes. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at policy at hfmay.org.uk. Thank you for listening to HF May Talk and I hope you can join us next time.